to every congregation and, and, and he admonished them and warned them about the importance of working together and, and not being divided. And uh, we know the church at Corinth had some issues in that area. Um, Connie and I in our marriage have been part of some congregations that have had some conflicts. Perhaps some of you have as well. It, have seen that kind of play out. And, and most of us would acknowledge that if you're part of a congregation where there's a lot of tension and turmoil, um, it's less than enjoyable to come in and be part of a service because this underlying current is kind of undercutting the worship of, that should be of the Lord. And so, again, I'm very thankful for the fellowship and the unity we have in this place. But we've, we've gone through a period now, or we're, we're entering a period now, that we're making some adjustments and some changes to some things that we've done. And I want to remind us that as we go through these changes, that we remain strongly committed to one another and that whatever issues come up, we can talk these things out. And that we can be honest with one another about where we are and how we need to do what we can uh, to repair those uh, relationships. So I just want to start by looking at the early church, and I've called it the unstoppable force. You know that um, if you think about the ministry of Jesus, Jesus came to the earth and he had this great ministry going where lots of people flock to him. Now that will happen when you have a man that's a great teacher that taught not as the scribes and Pharisees, but one that had genuine authority. It will also happen when you can do miracles that no one else can do, which authenticated the fact that he was indeed the Son of God. But see, he was a great threat to religious leaders of that day, and so they sought to kill him. And they were ultimately successful in that. But there's one thing that they did not take into account. The resurrection. Because when he was resurrected from the dead, after all those people saw that he was slain and killed on the cross, and yet three days later, he's back up walking around and people he has experiences with those people. And there's like 500 people or more that saw the resurrected Jesus. Can you imagine that instead of killing that movement by killing the leader, now you've created a real momentum for this movement. And so the early church, 50 days after the crucifixion of Jesus, 50 days, they had what was called the day of Pentecost. And it was Pentecost stands for 50. 50 days removed from the, from the uh, crucifixion, they have this, um, this other gathering there in Jerusalem. And you have all these religious leaders that are back there in Jerusalem. And Peter stands up amongst the 12 and he gives the first gospel message of the new kingdom that's being established on that day. Acts chapter 2. And he gives them this story of uh, accusation that says that the Son of God came here as he was prophesied, and yet you turned on him and you killed him. And after the end of this sermon, they recognized that was true. So they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And he told them that they were to repent 
and be baptized for the remission of sins. And they would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That was the promise. And so there were 3,000 souls that were added to that group. So you can imagine, you have over 3,000 people that are now part of this following. And so as they begin to worship and we find out the early church, they had all things in common, meaning that it was important. Now we don't read this later in other congregations, but they're in Jerusalem for this early church. They sold off their possessions and they lived there together and they shared things in common because it was important to be unified as they begin this movement together in following Jesus Christ. And as you might imagine, the persecution abounded. So they couldn't kill off the movement by killing the leader, Jesus, and so they started to threaten Paul, and, uh, not Paul, uh, Peter and the other disciples that they better shut up or you're going to be, you're going to be killed too. And the movement grew to over 5,000 people because they were doing more miracles in the name of the Lord and people were seeing that and, and it just got stronger and stronger. But the persecution became stronger and as it did, the church spread out and people had to flee Jerusalem. But when they fled Jerusalem, what did they do? They took the message with them to the places they went and so the message of Jesus Christ went all over and it, it touched communities all over the known world at that time. What a blessing that all of that was, but it was only possible because of the unity of those people and the, the fact that they indeed did work together. You know, there's a, there's a scripture in Daniel that says, Unto him, in the references to Christ, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages serve him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not, not, shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You know, it was prophesied that this kingdom would not be destroyed, and here you are, over 2,000 years later, part of that kingdom. It wasn't destroyed. It's been through a lot. It's been through a lot of turmoil, but yet the Lord's kingdom still exists as was prophesied way back before Jesus ever came to this earth in the prophecy of Daniel. There were other prophecies in Isaiah and so forth. We'll just reference the one today. But So I want to start by thinking about a shared spirit. That's one of the things that for any movement to be, be successful, there has to be some shared values and shared spirit amongst the people. And you, you can think of sports teams that have the, they share a common goal, they share a common bond in supporting that sports team. Or you can see down here a picture of, of a group that is united to, uh, to protest in favor of, of free speech. And you see all kinds of movements. And some of those movements we might agree with. And others of those movements we would adamantly disagree with. But the point is, is those things are driven by the fact that they have this commonality that they're behind and they believe in, they believe in the cause that they're part of. So Paul says this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling 
with which you were called, with all lowness and meekness, with all long-suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I believe this is kind of a formula for that, that unity. So he ends this, this phrase or this statement by saying we're endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's kind of the end goal. But what led to it? Well, verse 2. Lowliness and meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, caring about each other, caring about your concerns, hurting when you hurt, celebrating when you celebrate. Those are the things that he's talking about. Bearing with one another. In, verses, in verse 1, he talks about walking worthy of the calling. So he says, look, for us to be united, you have to live along, uh, according to the principles that Jesus has laid out and that the apostles had laid out. You know, another verse that we might refer to is Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. So the things that the apostles taught in the early church, they lived by those things. And that's what, that's what Paul exhorts us to do here is to walk worthy of that calling. And notice, it's an interesting phrase that he uses here in verse 1. He, he refers to himself as a prisoner of the Lord. And that's kind of a strange way to put it. But I believe he's using this to invoke the idea that I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not doing even more. Not only am I walking worthy, I'm actually a prisoner. I'm a willing servant of the Lord that died for me. I'm a willing servant of that. And because I'm a willing servant of that, I have the right to ask you as fellow followers to walk worthy of that calling. Do you not know, this is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit it is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? So Paul says that we're not our own, that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Now, so you might ask the question, how is it even possible that Christians could not be united if we have the same Spirit within us? But yet we all know that we have the ability to either follow that Spirit or reject it. We can, we can do it according to the word that we're taught by uh, reading our Bible, or we can reject that thing and say, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to do my own thing. And so there's always that danger. But I just put this up here to remind you that you're not your own. That if you're a baptized believer into Jesus Christ, you're no longer your own, and that your body is the dwelling of that Holy Spirit. And so how can we pull in different directions if that's the case? The next thing we need is we've got to have a shared purpose. And we've got to understand that our roles may be somewhat different in the kingdom. And uh, again, in 1 Corinthians, he said, Paul says this, but God composed the body. Now, he's not talking about the physical body here. He's talking about the church. God composed the church, having given greater honor to the part which, it, which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, and that the members 
should have the same care for one another. And before that, you remember that there's a, a whole passage about the eye and the ear and that all of these things are critical members of the body. And that if you think about it, the smallest member of your body, if it hurts, it draws your attention. No matter how insignificant it may be, it causes you to pay attention to that thing. And so Paul says that there should be no division amongst us because we're all part of that body. And we're, we're called to play different roles. But they're all important roles. And whether you're just a guy, and I say just a guy, there is no just a guy or just a gal. Whatever role you play is just as important as an elder or evangelist or anything else. If it's part of what the church needs, then it's serving the same cause. And you know, if you think about, if you think about any successful team, and I'm not just confining this to an athletic team, but any team, a work team, an athletic team, uh, an organizational team, any organization that is successful has got to have some members in it that are willing to do the hard things that there's not a lot of glory in. Someone's got to do that thing that no one else really wants to do that's not that glamorous, but it's important to the mission of that group. And you have to have people like that. And they're just as important as the person that, that drives the organization. He goes on and he says in Ephesians 4, again, this is Paul's writing, and he tells the, the church at Ephesus here, he says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head in the Christ, from whom the whole body, again, there's the same analogy, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. You think about um, when people have injuries, a lot of times where are those injuries? They're in the joints. The analogy here is that that we kind of represent the different bones of the body and the joints is that spirit that connects us and pulls us together. And so that connection, that connective tissue, the thing that holds us together is key. I, many of you know I coached for a lot of years. I was a basketball coach. And I had, I had some very good, uh, a very good group of athletes that was a horrible team. Miserable to be a part of it, but they were great athletes. But they were a terrible team. I also have had some teams that were pretty average players, but they played really well together and they really cared about each other. And the team overachieved what they, their talent probably should have allowed them to achieve. Whereas the other team that had all the athletes Underachieve what they should have achieved. But again, that connective tissue, that unity of the Spirit, which is so important, which Paul continued to talk about throughout the New Testament. So, we might ask this question. Is perfect agreement required? This is one that there's a lot of... 
the Church of Christ, unfortunately, has a bad reputation for disfellowshipping one another. And I'm going to go through a few of the scriptures that have been used on this account. This first one here, Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same things and that there be no divisions among you, that you perfectly join together in the same mind in the same judgment. Okay, so taken to its extreme, we might come to the conclusion that, well, we have to agree about every single thing or we can't be in fellowship. That if we don't agree about every little thing in the Bible, then we can't possibly be in fellowship with one another. And I believe that's pretty far from what Paul's teaching here. Because he goes on and he says, For I have declared, for it has been declared to me concerning you by uh, my brethren, by those of the house of Chloe, that there are some contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was, the, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So the problem was, is these brethren here at, at Corinth were following men, and they'd gotten away from following Christ. And that there was this division where they weren't working well together because of that situation. So, just logically speaking, these were Christians in Corinth. Did they have some problems? They had lots of problems. But yet, the Apostle Paul continued to work with them. Do you think their understanding of the Scripture was the same as the Apostle Paul's? Not even close. But yet, Paul kept working with them. Would we expect someone that's newly baptized to have the same experience as somebody that's been in the church for 40 or 50 years? Of course not. You're going to sit down and study the Bible, and at the end of that, that Bible, that study, you may come to the conclusions that, you know what? I misunderstood that verse. So does that mean that your, your former self should be disfellowshipped? You, you see my point is the idea that you can take this to an extreme and you can make it where no one can fellowship anybody else. Um, when I first joined the church, was baptized years ago, um, heard stories of a guy who he read a book and the book was The History of the Church Through the Ages by Robert Bumback. I've read that book. It's a great book. But somehow from this book, he got the idea that women shouldn't even sing in church and there should be no invitation song. And So what ended up happening with this gentleman is he and his wife started worshiping in his house together with nobody else. It was just he and the wife, and he, she couldn't sing. And so he sung all the songs. He did all the preaching. He did all the praying. He did the Lord's table. She just sat there and watched him do that. That was his idea of... And, and this is what happens when you take that to the extreme 
is that you get to the point of, well, I can't fellowship anybody because I can't trust that you guys are all right. That's not the Lord's purpose. Uh, this is another scripture that's been used. Can two walk together unless they agree? Well, there are two people that are oftentimes walk together, and as they walk, they're disagreeing the whole time they walk. The point is that they, they agree to meet. That's, that's really the, the, meaning, the meaning of this is, can two people walk together unless they have some agreement to get together to walk together? Even though they may have some different understandings about things as they go. Um, if anyone comes to you and brings not this doctrine, uh, do not receive him into your house or greet him, or whosoever greets him, uh, or whosoever greets him takes part of his wicked works. So here's one more. It says, Mark them that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine that you have learned and avoid them. And so, again, people in the past, fortunately we haven't had that here, and I'm thankful for that. But we, I've seen people that have taken this and said, well, I'm supposed to mark anybody that disagrees, and I'm supposed to have nothing to do with them and completely, um, com completely get away from all this so-called religious error. But the reality is, is that all of our understanding is imperfect. We do the best we can with the understanding we have in the moment, and we hope to grow, and we hope to, to learn more, and we hope to better align ourselves with what the Lord would have us to do. Let me, let me give you a, a, an example. Okay, this is just, here's a belief of mine. I believe that when people die, Christ, when Christians die, they do not go to heaven. Now, I believe that they'll go to paradise. I believe that there is a there is a, a intermediary station where the souls of people are held until the day of judgment. And on that day of judgment, if you're a faithful Christian, you will indeed go to heaven. But there are people that don't believe that, and they believe that you go straight to heaven from this world if you're faithful. Well, my point is, is I'm not going to make that a test of fellowship. I'm not going to go around and ask people what they believe, and if they don't believe exactly what I believe, I'm going to disfellowship. I'm not, I'm, I, that's not what I should do. We should, on issues that we don't have understanding, we should discuss and learn and to the best that we can interpret the Scripture. We should grow from those things, and we should learn from those things. So that's just, a, that's just an example. Here's another thing that, that I've seen in the past is chain of withdrawal. Now, chain of withdrawal is the idea of that I'm not supposed to have any, there's light should have no fellowship with darkness. And so if the person, I'm not going to use people, but if there's a person sitting here that was living in a moral life, and this person wouldn't disfellowship them because they're living in a moral life, I've got to disfellowship this guy. And if this guy's in fellowship with that guy, I've got to disfellowship this guy. And if the person sitting here is in fellowship with this guy, I've got to disfellowship this. So you get the idea is that you get into this chain of withdrawal is that you get to where this other guy I was describing was is that 
You can't trust anybody because you think, oh, they're part of religious era, and if they're part of religious era, and I fellowship the person that fellowships the person that fellowships the person that fellowships the person, I could lose my soul over that. Again, I, I, if you look at the tenet of what the Lord taught, even the churches that were pretty far afield, Corinth, Corinth was, was a mess. And yet, he didn't withdraw from them. He kept working with them to try to get them to improve. Again, this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, he says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What, con- what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? So again, people have taken that passage and gotten this idea of chain of withdrawal is that I've got to section myself off from all, all era. But you undermine the ability to evangelize and to grow the kingdom of God when you take these to their natural extreme. So let's talk about some things that we do need to agree on if we're going to have fellowship. The first principles of salvation. Now think about why that would be important. Well, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to share the gospel with people in the world, shouldn't the message be the same for me as it is from Ryan, as it is from Ken, as it is from Nancy? Shouldn't that be the same message? And so we have to kind of agree on the gospel plan of salvation. If we can't agree on that, then you're going to be converting them to something that I'm not. And so again, the Bible teaches us that we have to have faith. It's impossible to please God if we don't have faith. And we have to repent. Jesus said that I tell you, uh, I tell you no, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Uh, in Romans 10 it says, for, for, uh, with, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And as for as many as you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And so again, these are the four things that we kind of have to agree on that are required for somebody to be in the kingdom. If we don't agree on that, and Zach goes out and teaches one way, and I go out and teach another, how can we assure this guy or this gal that they've been saved? Since they've fallen, they've fall, uh, followed different steps to uh, salvation. Another thing that's important is we have to commit to living according to Christian values. Now, does that mean you're never going to sin, or you're never going to do anything? Of course not. You're going to sin, but you can see right here, and, and again, we pick on the, the Corinthians, but in in uh, chapter five, we find that there was reported amongst them. There was fornication. It was it was widely known. Uh, it was so bad. It was it was something that wasn't even wasn't even common amongst the Gentiles. It, this was this was a horrible situation where a guy had his own father's wife. He said, and, and not only are you accepting it, but you kind of think it's funny. You're puffed up and you're bragging about it, and have not rather mourned. That he has done this deed might be taken away from among you. So in those cases, it's important to disfellowship that person because they're unrepentant. So again, think about the message. 
Think about a message going forward. If I'm a known sinner living an immoral life, and, and, it, and that's what, well known, how am I going to be an ambassador for Jesus? I've got a picture up here of um, uh, Armstrong. Uh, Lance, yeah, I couldn't think of the name. Lance Armstrong. He was famous cyclist, had tons of endorsements, lost those endorsements. Why did he lose the endorsements? Because they found out he was cheating. And because he was cheating, see, now all these companies begin to flee from him because they don't want their product to be associated with that. So the same is true with Christianity, that when we live in a way that doesn't show the, the virtues of Jesus Christ, then we're tarnishing that brand. You're tarnishing the brand of the church. And so that's why it's so important. So he says that let's, let's remove this guy from the church, let's tell him he's no longer welcome, but he goes out and repents and he returns. It's not that he can't repent of that sin, he can. So, thinking about Anna Street, so where do we fit in? Well, every congregation, every congregation has challenges. You know, the first century church, they had, they had challenges. The church in Denton, Texas, has challenges that are unique to us, and, but we're called on to take on those challenges and figure out how to best go forward. Um, I think we're fortunate. You know, the, good, the, the, the important thing is, is in 15 years, in 10 years, we hope that this congregation will still be here, will still be a light for Jesus Christ in this community. Now, there, many of you have young children that you're setting a legacy for now, that you will leave them something, and maybe they will live here in this area, and they'll be part of this congregation, and maybe they won't. But they'll live somewhere, and your participation in the Lord's kingdom will mean something to them. I, just I've heard so many stories, Connie telling about her father and, and the influence that he had and the, the, the times that they went traveling as a family to, for him to hold a gospel meeting in Arkansas and uh, all, those, all those things that that sets, a, that sets a precedent of faith that your children are more likely to follow if you do that. So, as you remember, we met a couple of weeks ago, and you have to be real honest to have these conversations. We do what's known as a SWOT analysis. We looked at our strengths, our weaknesses, our opportunities, and our threats. And you've got to be, in order to have this kind of thing, you've got to have an open and honest relationship, or if you don't, people won't say anything. If, uh, if as an elder, if Yancey and I took in the feedback, and we just said, oh, well, that's just your opinion, never mind that. You see, that's, people have to feel like they can voice what their concerns are and believe that they'll be taken seriously and addressed. So we threw up some strengths. I'll not read through all those, but uh, this was the things we come up with as strengths and then weaknesses. And I'll, I'll just take the time to read these because we take these seriously. Uh, Wednesday night, there was no consistent schedule or plan. 
Uh, our afternoon service needed more structure, and we've spent some time laying some, some meat on those bones so that we can have a better plan uh, for our afternoon. We lack good processes. Uh, we're going to work on that. Execution of ideas. A lot of times there's good ideas that come out, and, and, but there was no execution on the other end. Communication, not regular enough. Uh, too many ideas, we can't execute them all. And then we're too busy to get that stuff done. Uh, not enough ministers and helpers to carry out the mission. Uh, no activities around our gospel meetings. Uh, no formal young people training. Low engagement. Hard for outsiders to break in. Geographically spread out. The location. Uh, utilize evangelists for outreach. So again, these are things that came out of weaknesses and we can't address those things all at once, but over time, we can address them and then take stock again and see what we've improved and what still needs, needs uh, work. So one thing that we have kind of decided to do, and I, uh, we're going to talk about it at second service quite a bit, but I just wanted to weigh in here a little bit. Small group fellowships. The small group fellowships that we're going to have after church are really driven with the idea of our topic of the morning. Increase the unity. Ensure the bonds that we have. And again, I believe that those are strong, but, but there's never time to ignore that. We want people to connect with those that they don't know as well. So again, I would, if you're a member of this congregation, I would challenge you to meet up with people that you may not be as familiar with and get to know them and let them have a chance to get to know you. We want it to be such that everybody feels included. We don't want anybody to feel excluded from this and feel like, well, no one wants to go with me or no one's asking me to lunch. So uh, it's not any, any one person's responsibility, but every one of us needs to be joining up with somebody to, to participate in. As we grow closer together with one another, we grow closer to the Lord. And the idea is, as we become stronger, just like that first century church, uh, the congregation becomes stronger, we become a greater ambassador for the Lord. I'll just close with this. But Jesus, right before he was taken into custody, beaten, and hung on the cross, you know what he, he took time praying for? He took time praying for his disciples and the messes that they would have after he was gone. And he goes on and he says, I did not ask for these alone, meaning his disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, and I just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that, and so why is that important? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, unity and the message of evangelism are connected. They're connected. And the better we are at being united with one another, the more effective the chance we have to evangelize our community, to, to expand our numbers, to expand our strength as a congregation. 
this morning we haven't talked much about first principles. We did throw them up on one slide. But uh, if you're not a Christian and you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and we can assist you in baptism, then we would ask you to come forward as we're going to stand and sing this song. If the church can help you with prayers, then we would also ask you to come forward as we, we stand and we sing together.